lot of what we use from a software standpoint, you see this in a lot of the most successful companies. If, if the product doesn't work for people or consumers, then it's probably not going to work for companies. There are, you know, a lot of funky things about the enterprise. And I saw this kind of investing and working on IPOs. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Backbone, a podcast exploring the journey of finance and operations within tech companies. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. If this is your first episode, welcome, and thanks for checking it out. For those returning listeners, I'm so glad you're here. I hope that you've subscribed, rated, and reviewed the show on whichever platform you're hearing this now. It would mean so much to me and help spread the stories of these amazing finance leaders we feature on The Backbone. Joining me on this episode of The Backbone is Alok Pandey, VP of Finance and Corporate Development at Anchor Free. Anchor Free is an internet security and privacy company based in San Francisco, and the company's mission is to provide secure and private access to the world's information for every person on the planet. Anchor Free has raised over $300 million in capital, and investors include Excel, 8VC, Signal Fire, and WonderCo. Alok was previously a vice president at Vector Capital, a $3.5 billion technology-focused private equity firm. Alok sat on the board of directors at Amarsis, a growth-stage SaaS email marketing and analytics business. Prior to his time at Vector Capital, Alok spent several years at Technology Crossover Ventures, a $10 billion fund where he focused on growth equity and private equity investments in the software and technology-enabled services space. And so without further ado, here's Alok Pandey, VP of Finance and Corp Dev at Anchor Free. Hey, Alok, thanks for joining me on The Backbone. Uh, we've got lots to cover, so let's dive right in. You started your career at uh, JP Morgan as an investment banker and then moved into growth stage investing at TCV to then private equ- to a private equity firm called Vector Capital. So while you've been in the tech space now for almost 10 years, your current gig at Anchor Free is your first operating role as a finance leader. So talk to me about your journey into tech and how it all started for you. Yeah, sure. Um, sure. Well, thanks again for having me on the podcast. Really pre- appreciate it. And uh, looks like you've been all watching the NBA Finals. So maybe at the back end, we can have a little uh, friendly banner about the Raptors and the Warriors here, uh, given that I'm a Bay Area guy and based in the Bay Area uh, and been working here for almost a decade in tech. So it's pretty interesting. Um, I would say my journey um, into the technology world was a bit non-traditional. Um, you know, I uh, went to school on the East Coast, uh, went to Penn. And back then, um, the traditional route, you know, in my cohort at Wharton was you kind of do banking or consulting. Um, And uh, when I graduated college about almost a decade ago, um, and most people were, you know, pretty set on going to New York uh, back then right after school. Um, But, you know, I grew up in Santa Cruz, which is about 70 miles south of San Francisco, um, and always wanted to go back um, to the Bay Area. Um, so I focused my kind of recruiting efforts around um, getting a job in San Francisco, interviewed at a bunch of investment banks and uh, management consulting firms. Um, back then, you know, Facebook and Google didn't even come to campus. So getting a job out of college right in technology, you know, I, I barely knew anyone who did that. Um, and so, um, you know, I interviewed at a lot of places, um, got a job at JP Morgan in their tech investment banking group in 
San Francisco. Um, and from there, kind of built my career in tech in the Bay Area. Um, you know, I, I started off doing uh, software um, and internet IPOs and M&A deals at JP Morgan from 2010 to 2012. Um, then I went to TCV and did uh, software-focused uh, growth equity and private equity um, investing uh, for about two and a half years. Um, and then when I went to Vector, uh, which is a, about a three and a half billion dollar uh, private equity fund, I went there to do uh, private equity and but also growth equity investing. Um, so they're a traditional kind of value oriented private equity fund, but they wanted to do more growth equity deals also focused on software. Um, so I was there I was, I was there for about four years um, and then um, kind of hit an inflection point in my career where, you know, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do kind of long term um, and always had the itch to um, kind of do an operating gig. I got along really well uh, with a lot of the management teams that I worked with at Vector and TCV and wanted to see what it would be like to actually be part of a company and build a company um, in growth mode and run it, uh, help run it. And, um, you know, that's kind of how I ended up at Anchor Free. And so, you know, many people may recognize or have used uh, Hotspot Shield, which is one of Anchor Free's uh, products. Now, as a company, Anchor Free has raised over $295 million in capital from the likes of Excel and 8VC. So tell me a bit more about Anchor Free. What does the company do and, and what is it all about? Yeah, for sure. So um, Anchor Free is uh, the largest uh, you know, consumer uh, VPN and Wi-Fi security uh, company in the world, um, especially uh, based in the United States. Um, you know, we, uh, we're a technology company. We're a software company. A lot of people know us for VPN, Wi-Fi security. Um, you know, our main app, as you said, is Hotspot Shield, um, which many people may have used, you know, whether it's business travelers or people who, um, you know, it's really the, the user stories are very diverse. Uh, we have users all over the world. You know, people use our application applications. You know, when there was a government shutdown of the internet um, in Iraq uh, a few months ago, people used our product to get access to social media to tell the rest of the world what was going on in in Iraq. Um, so, a lot of really cool use cases from you know business travel to kind of Wi-Fi securities to secure um, yourself, whether at airport Wi-Fi or trying to protect important financial information or health information, um, to getting access to uh, certain applications that may be blocked by restrictive um, governments, uh, like the example I gave in Iraq. Um, so uh, it's a very diverse company. Um, you know, historically, people have known us uh, as a consumer internet um, software company. Um, we are growing um, in, uh, in the B2B space as well. Uh, I would say it is a relative relatively nascent part of our business. Uh, we're still kind of the core business is still um, focused on uh, security, privacy and access for the consumer. Uh, but in the future, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're going to diversify, which is um, part of the reason why I also joined as well, um, just because, you know, I'd never really um, had a significant amount of access uh, or worked with a wide variety of B2C companies, but I'd had a lot of experience in B2B software and saw um, a big market opportunity, especially in this space, um, 
to grow a, a, a business focused on selling to other businesses. So a um, lot of cool stuff to come. I'd say we're, you know, we're a growing company that is focused on um, bringing out a lot of uh, new products um, and also not only for uh, select markets, but for many different markets in the future. And so we're at a very interesting inflection point as a company. And um, given the kind of the size and the scale and the um, kind of what we do uh, as a business, where you know we've been around been around for some time, you know, taking a good amount of capital as you said, but also have um, you know another uh, few innings of growth, um, you know, in different markets. Um, I thought just from a learning standpoint, um, it would be very interesting for me to join the company at the time, and I've been at Anchor Free for about a year now. Wow, that's really cool. Um, I, I want to dive into the that uh, comment that you made about you know being a consumer uh, company and now going more deeper into to the enterprise market. So a hotspot shield is used by, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but 650 million people to provide online security, privacy, and, and access, like you mentioned. And the price point for this product is anywhere between $4.99 to $17.99 a month, uh, depending on the term of the sign-up period. Now, conversely, Anchor Free has products that are used by Fortune 500 companies. And so most companies usually tackle either the consumer market or the enterprise market. And it's kind of crazy that you're doing both. So as a finance leader for such a company, what challenges does this present? Yeah, so um, I, I would say that the 650 million stat is uh, kind of more on uh, a stat of downloads of you know d- you know the, like a um, aggregate number for a product. You know, I, look, I think I think that you know as I mentioned, there are um, what I see kind of our business today, and when when I look at the business as a finance leader, you know, we have um, you know a core business um, that is um, kind of has experienced a significant amount. Of growth, um, especially on mobile, um, what, what what the business has done very smartly over the last few years, especially has um, you know seen a global kind of rise in smartphones and the you know the app store uh, and now Google Play and Android as well, um, and kind of rode that wave to build a product that was uh, you know mobile first and very mobile um, friendly. And if you use our products, you'll see that it's you know the user interface and um, the use case is uh, uh, is 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 you know very um, user friendly as well and consumer driven. So um, mm-hmm. you know when you look at some of the most successful consumer products um, in history, right? Whether it's Apple or um, you know Netflix, uh, a lot of them are just built that are where the intuition of the consumer is quite uh, easy to use, right? Like a lot of people kind of when they talk about the best consumer products, the, you know, the one of the first things they'll say is easy to, easy to use. And that's kind of what I would say, especially for kind of our core products, like, um, you know, such especially a hotspot shield uh, is kind of the UI and kind of the, how it's built is very easy to use and driven for kind of the, you know, the use case of the consumer. And when we talk about kind of the future and, you know, B2B or enterprise, I think a lot of the learnings that um, you you get from the consumer market where you build products for the consumer, you can take into kind of B2B, whether and especially the, the aspect of, you know, fundamentally, I believe that not only consumers, but human beings, um, you know, want products that are easy to use, easy to implement, easy to 
deploy and kind of intuitive. Um, and when you think about it, when you break down kind of the B2B element, and I didn't fully appreciate this until I started working for a, co for a company and, you know, not at like an investment bank or a, uh, you know, growth equity or private equity firm. But when you start using, you know, these products and you, you, you sell them to B2B, um, but the actual people who are using them are consumers. So uh, right. a lot of what we use from a software standpoint, um, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, and you see this in a lot of the, the most successful companies, especially look at looking at recent IPOs, like, you know, Zoom video is a great example, right? Where if, if the product doesn't work for people or consumers, then it's probably not going to work for companies. <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of, that's kind of how I kind of looked at it. And I was like, look, if we are able to generate such amazing scale and breadth building consumer products, then, um, you know, really, uh, you know, enterprise, you know, there are, you know, a lot of funky things about the enterprise. And I saw this kind of investing and working on IPOs for very successful enterprise software companies over the last decade. But, um, you know, there are a lot of learnings you can take from consumer um, into the enterprise. And I think that, that that's kind of a part of, uh, you know, part of the many things we're trying to tackle right now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, a, a term that has become really or a phrase that's become really popularized over the last little while is this whole concept of the consumerization of the enterprise. And, and like you said, like people who are using enterprise software are at the end of the day consumers and consumer focused software has um, made them uh, aware of what great software can be. And so now they're expecting that uh, to come out of enterprise software as well. Would you agree with that sentiment or, or do you think yeah. that's out of line? Yeah, totally. And, and that's also kind of hit on this briefly, but that's been part of the cool thing about um, being in my role here at Anger Free is that, you know, a lot of the, you know, contract negotiation, um, whether it's with, you know, our marketing team or with our uh, security engineering team or, um, you know, a lot of these companies where, you know, I was analyzing their kind of revenue multiples and figuring out kind of their growth trajectories uh, as public companies or as private companies that uh, pre-IPO, you know, now I'm on the other side, you know, you know, negotiating deals with, you know, their sales reps or other people in their company and really seeing them at work. And when I have, you know, a marketing guy who comes over and says, hey, Alok, I need finances approval to get this, you know, software, um, you know, a lot of what I'm able to do from an operating perspective, which I think is a really fascinating part of my job is be like, hey, man, like what, or, you know, why, why do you need this product? You know, what, what are we going to use it for? Um, how many people are going to use it? Uh, why is this product, uh, you know, better than the 10 other competitors? Uh, how should we think about it as a pricing standpoint? How do you want me to help negotiate, uh, you know, a deal to get us a better deal than X competitor? Or, or do we just want to go with them and not even think about anyone else because it's a significantly better product? And what, how are we convinced of that? So it's, it's really, you know, I think a a lot of what I was doing, especially at TCV and Vector, was you know doing a due diligence from an investor standpoint of a lot of like products and kind of competitive analyses. Uh, but it's kind of cool. To, it's really cool to do that, um, you know, from a day to day standpoint, where we're actually here buying software that you know you know tens or twenty or over hundred people are going to use at Anchor Free. One last component here uh, before we we jump to the next question, and that's how do you decide to allocate resources and capital between, you know, being a consumer focused company and then also servicing enterprise clients. Like when you're building out of 
product set or a feature set. How do you how do you think about the allocation of resources and capital there? Yeah, no, it's a good question. You know, I would say um, that there are uh, two parts to that question. One is uh, the people resources and the people allocations, and the other is the um, like, which is which I would call the human capital. Um, and then the second part of that question is. Uh, the dollars, uh, you know, to work. Both are uh, multifaceted questions. Um, you know, I think we, you know, as as I tell, kind of my team and all my friends, you know, time is the greatest, is the scarcest resource that we all have. Um, and, right. You know, you think about that in your own personal life and your own personal kind of allocation of how you allocate your time. But I think as a company, and that's part of kind of leaders at a company to figure out whether it's the people you manage or the different business units you manage. And I think we have a you know great management team here that, um, you know, does an awesome job of, you know, allocating resources based on not only time, but, you know, where we want to grow in the future. Um, Cause we are a, you know, growth focused business um, here. And, um, you know, part of that is, you know, who's, spends time on what, whether it's, you know, Alok uh, who runs finance and corp dev, you know, should I help pitch in and help the enterprise team on, um, you know, X, X project, or should I allocate my resources to helping our marketing team or to, um, so, I mean, look, I think there's no easy answer to your question. I think it's a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, how do we view the business over the long term and what, you know, benchmarks do we want to set for ourselves, uh, quarterly and then how do we allocate resources to hit those benchmarks and make sure that the people who are you know the directly responsible for the projects or you know making these projects successful are have the have enough resources and time to be able to execute on them um so i mean i know it's a long-winded answer to your question um but i think one of the things is you know when you're at uh you know when you're at a you know fast growing startup and, you know, P teamwork is really, really important. Um, and that's one thing that, you know, I've also realized in my time here is that, you know, people who are kind of willing to go above and beyond and help people and pay it forward. Um, you know, you, you know, people appreciate that, right. Cause everyone is busy. Everyone's running at hundred miles per hour. Um, and so I try to kind of compartmentalize my day, um, figuring out all the things I need to do, but, devoting kind of a small part of my day, even if it's 20, 30 minutes to kind of just help others in the company, whether it's, you know, people I'm directly um, managing or people who are my peers or people who, you know, I, you know, report into in some shorter fashion, whether it's my CEO or in, and figuring out, you know, if there is, is there is areas where I can help that may not be my core functions, because I think that if, many people in your company, you know, function this way, then, it, you know, you just are able to achieve, uh, what I've seen is you're able to achieve kind of 1.2x, the 1x, if the 1x is your goal, um, you know, from like a, we need to go from zero to one, um, and you can strive to do 1.2 and not one, um, and achieve somewhere between one and 1.2, then you're, I think that the company is just going to, you know, be more successful. Right. And those 1.2s is also a compounding factor as you, if everyone's performing at that 1.2, then as an organization, as a broader team, you're just accomplishing a way lot more. You know, one of the greatest things, um, you know, one of my mentors told me as a finance leader was he asked me, um, 
you know, look, how many employees do you have at Anchor Freight? And I said, you know, we have about, you know, over 200 employees now. And he said, um, okay, cool. Um, what is, what is the, uh, what is the most important thing um, that you should always be thinking about as a finance leader? And I said, um, cash, cash and cash flow. And he said, great. So well, what, 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 why, why, why is cash and cash flow so important? And I said, oh yeah, cash and cash flow is so important because you know that's going to drive our return and that's going to drive our equity and how our investors think about our equity over the long term. And that's why it's really important. And this was like my first week at Anchor Free. And uh, and then my mentor, he was kind of like, who's experienced kind of CFO, been at many CFO, many companies. Um, and he said, hello, you are could not be more wrong. And I said, <laughs> and I kind of was taken aback a little bit. And I said, well, I thought I got the right answer by saying cash. Like, why, 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 why am I wrong with kind of, you know, why cash is important? And he said, look, you are thinking like an investor. If you want to be a successful operator, you don't have to you stop. You have to think like an investor over the long term. And you have to think of an investor when you're talking to board members or talking to your CEO. But when you day to day, when you're a finance leader, you have to talk, you have to think about the people. And when you have 200 and 200 or so odd employees, that's 200 families. So on average, about 600 people that you're responsible for. So if thing, if, <laughs> and like I, this is like my first week at Anchor Free about a year ago. And I was like, holy crap, like this is going to be, this is, a, this is a lot more responsibility than I thought I was taking on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's definitely a, a, a humbling experience to get that spiel on, on week one. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty, uh, I think about it all the time, uh, to be honest, it's a, it, I think, you know, there are a lot of kind of levers that I think about with our business. And, you know, um, but I th also think that, you know, taking a step back and realizing that, um, you know, a couple, a company is only successful. Um, and it, it, you know, because or not, in a large part, because of the people kind of you bring in and the people you hire and the contributions of everyone in your company, um, that, you know, from your kind of office manager to, uh, you know, the person who uh, cleans the floors every day to the CEO, um, if you think if you think in that mindset, uh, I think it just brings a lot more meaning and, you know, also just like value to kind of the day to day aspect of the job. And that's what I found. Yeah, for sure. Now, you know, your role at Anchor Free is uh, a, a unique one. Not only are you the VP of finance, uh, you're also running Corp Dev there. And so uh, I want to spend some time now talking about your Corp Dev duties at Anchor Free. For our listeners, could you describe what your Corp Dev role entails? Yeah, for sure. So I actually, um, you know, I consider myself a lifelong learner. Um, before I joined Acre Free, you know, I met with corp dev leaders at, um, you know, some of the largest tech companies in the world, such as Amazon, Facebook, and Google, um, and others to kind of just get uh, insights on kind of how different corp dev organizations run. Um, and I'd say it's pretty diverse. My, my big learning was that the, um, the function of corp dev is quite diverse at many different companies and also it's not just m a um you know at, you know for for instance uh you know at, at some of these larger tech companies corp dev um can take on many strategic projects that mean a lot of kind of international strategy and a lot that goes into kind of business strategy and growth strategy um mm -hmm. but 
The other thing I learned is that, um, you know, especially the, the companies I named, but let's just take Google, for instance, or Facebook, um, you know, they wouldn't be what they are today, which is kind of 400, 500 billion um, dollar com- market cap companies without corp debt. Right. So what, what would Facebook be without Instagram? Right. Which is, yeah, you know, they say is a hundred billion dollar company or something along the within Facebook. Um, and you could you could also argue vice versa. But um, I think with Google um, Android and YouTube or acquisitions. So um, yeah. I think that there is a lot to be said about the strategic importance of corp dev, or importance of corp dev. Um, and what I've taken on the role of is, um, you know, building out uh, corp dev, not only as, you know, an M&A engine, but also as, um, you know, a strategic function to um, basically get, uh, not only uh, represent the company from a outbound perspective, whether it's talking with um, competitors or other people in the consumer space or potential B2B partners or targets um, to also investment banker, investment banking relationships. Um, so I would say that, you know, the core strategic function of Corp Dev at Anchor Free today, um, which which I lead, um, is still kind of figuring out kind of M&A strategy, but it influences a lot of, um, you know, not only corporate strategy, but uh, product strategy as well. Um, a lot of the learning from um, you know deals we've looked at uh, as potential acquisitions over the last year um, have not only informed business strategy or corporate strategy, but also uh, about how we think about what the next few years of our product potentially look like um, from a uh, you know a learning standpoint um, by talking to other people um, in the space, uh, which is which has been a really interesting uh, learning for me to be honest because I didn't I didn't actually. Uh, fully um, realize or internalize uh, the importance of Corp Dev uh, until actually doing it for the past year um, here at Anchor Free. You know, at, at what scale do you think a tech company needs to get to before thinking about having someone take on the role and responsibilities of, of a Corp Dev person? It is probably, uh, I would advocate for it um probably sooner rather than later. Um, I, I, I was one of the people who um, maybe wasn't as uh, necessarily sure um, at the out front in terms of one, um, you know, what, like I didn't fully appreciate the significant value of Corp Dev um, just for equity value creation. Um, and and uh, when I, before I took this role, but I think that it's one that is significantly important. Um, and I think that uh, I would advise companies to think about it at least sooner rather than later, because I think it can influence a lot of not only capital allocation decisions, but um, strategy decisions in the near term and the long term. Um, and that's, that's what I've seen kind of here. And that's also what I've um, seen anecdotally when talking to a lot of my um, peers and uh, uh, people that I know at a lot of tech companies that, um, and, and, and you see it at Facebook as well, right? You know, especially with their kind of long-term strategies uh, and, uh, you know, Instagram and WhatsApp being great examples of of that as well. Um, but I think, I think it, it can be uh, relevant and important for many other companies, not just companies like Anchor Free or Google or Facebook. Right. Uh, and selfishly, my unbiased opinion is, uh, yeah, sooner rather than later as well. So I, I agree with you there. One last question here before we jump into our quick fire round. And, and so 
how does the way that you look at acquiring companies, you mentioned you, you considered a, a few acquisitions in the past year. Um, how does that change when you're a strategic acquirer like you are now uh, versus when you were a growth stage or private equity investor in your prior roles? Fundamentally, when you take a step back and you ask yourself, what is the job, um, you know, as a you know private equity or a growth equity professional at an institutional fund um, is you know you are looking uh, to deploy the capital uh, that you've raised from your LPs into uh, deals, uh, whether it's you know minority investments, majority investments, um, or in public investments, private investments, um, and you're fundamentally trying to make money off a return, right? So uh, you're solving for an IRR or an MOM on that uh, on that deal, and you're getting investment committee approval um, based on kind of whatever you put into your uh, deal memos or investment committee memos to get approval to go forward with that deal, right? And that fundamentally pencils that to a return, and your goal is to uh, hit, hit and ideally exceed that return. Um, and that what I would say as a company, when you think about, um, you know, acquisitions, uh, it's, it's a, it's a lot more, I would say the webs of what you are trying to do is, um, a lot more multifaceted and I'm not trying to kind of demean private equity or growth equity. I think every, I've enjoyed kind of every job I've had in my career. And, um, I would, but I would say that what I didn't fully appreciate is that, you know, when you, a lot of, you know, the acquisitions that, you know, we, uh, are looking to make, or a lot of companies are looking to make as strategic acquirers, you're not just thinking about, you know, what is the financial gain that I'm going to get on X? Like that is a one part of the equation. Um, and a lot of it, as I said, influences, you know, product strategy, business strategy, whether we do an aqua, hire to acquire talent, um, which, you know, could fundamentally not have any, um, you know, fundamental uh, money on money return, right? Mm -hmm. if, the, if the company has no revenue. Uh, but if you acquire, you know, 10 people or 20 people, um, and those people end up being or out of those 20 people, you know, a handful of them, or even one of them ends up being a rock star, um, then that could have a, a significant return in the future for your company um, that is much more important than making kind of a three x return on a on an equity check, right? Yeah, for sure. And and you know, I couldn't agree with you more on that. One other thing that I would add is that um, in in strategic acquisitions, we often hear the phrase like one plus one equals three. Yeah. And so <laughs> and and so what what people often forget is that in order to make that three, which is not really possible in a, in a private equity or a growth stage investing standpoint, is really even you, you mentioned this concept of the aqua hire. I would even argue that even when you're acquiring, you know, a large business, like, for instance, we, we talked about the Facebook and Instagram as an example. So if we keep on that, you know, what is that acquisition if Kevin Seistrom and uh, I forget the other co-founder's name at this time, but what if they, what happens if they leave three months in, right? So as much as you are acquiring the business, you also have to take into consideration the team and and how they're you know going to be settling into their their new roles and 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 a lot of those considerations are uh, I would say top of mind for a strategic acquirer um, more so than they would be for for an investor of that type. For sure. For sure. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. 
what I'd like to do now is jump into our quick fire round. And so the way this works is I'll ask you a couple of questions. You'll have 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each. How does that sound? That sounds great. All right. So let's do it. So what is your go-to online resource for all things startup finance or growth finance related? Reading tech meme every day. It's a news aggregator uh, that pulls from a lot of different kind of tech sources. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, What's your favorite productivity hack? You know, I'm pretty old school in some ways. Um, I actually write down everything I want to get done on pen and paper every single day. Nice. Uh, I've heard that that old school approach of of pen and paper lists a couple of times on the show. So that's good. Um, What's one thing you don't leave the office before finishing? So I'm one of those uh, crazy zero inbox kind of guys. So I do not, um, I I leave the office every day uh, with the zero inbox, uh, I would say. I respect that a lot. Uh, I've tried many times to get to inbox zero and... uh... (laughs) It's very hard, but I I do get there uh, every day uh, with the starring process of stuff that I don't need. What's one tech jargon that makes you cringe? Uh, I hate when people say the word disrupt. I think it's overblown, uh, hackneyed. I'm not not the biggest fan of that word anymore. (laughs) Yeah, that one's come up a few times as well. (laughs) Um, What's the best advice you've received so far in your career? The best advice I've received is the importance of relationships. Um, You know, I think every day almost, uh, you know, anything you need to do, uh, you can argue that relationships are uh, critical to that um, and have, creating not only positive but meaningful relationships in every interaction um, is something that uh, I would like to think that I strive to do um, and I think that just builds equity value not for yourself but also for you know your company and uh, the people around you and that is uh, that is something that uh, was advised to me a long time ago that I try to uh, try to advise myself to continue on for myself and everyone I work with. That's awesome. That's great advice for sure. Well, Alok, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's really been a pleasure chatting with you about the intricacies of the, you know serving both the consumer and enterprise market at the same time and kind of taking the learnings from one and applying it to the other. Also about you know your role, uh, both not only as a finance leader, but also running Corp Dev, what Corp Dev actually means and what it entails at an organization like Anchor Free and when companies should be thinking about that. And lastly, uh, getting your insight as to how strategic acquirers think about acquisitions versus when growth private equity investors might look at things. So I've really enjoyed this chat quite a bit, and uh, it's been a fascinating discussion from my end. So thanks again for your time. Yeah, thank you. And really appreciate you having me on the show. All right. Take care. Take care. And that wraps up another episode of The Backbone. I hope you enjoyed that insightful chat with Alok Pandey, VP of Finance and Corporate Development at Anchor Free. Check out some of the other awesome finance leaders featured on The Backbone from companies like Ecobee, Wealthsimple, League, and many more. Thank you for listening all the way through and joining me on this journey inside finance at a tech company. Until next time, take care.